Hey, hey, cowgirls! Welcome back to the Coconut Grove Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ashley. Every Thursday, my co-host Katie and I discuss the human experience and what that looks like here in LA. This week, we are speaking with Jeff Liu, CEO of Ephemeral Tattoo, the only real tattoo that is made to fade in 9 to 15 months. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back after a little winter break. A little Christmas How's refresh. Feeling good. How about you? I know. Needed. I yeah. look good? <laughs> Is that oh, you said? I, said, I said feeling good. How about you? Oh, I thought you said you look good. How are you? And I was like, apparently oh. good. It's just the <laughs> delay of podcasting yeah. on the internet. You too. <laughs> I'm good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, it was a much needed break, but it feels like it's never long enough. I don't know about you. Yeah, I know. There's always like projects around the house that I see and I'm like, oh, I need at least a week to work on this. You know, it's just there's always something. But anyways, back from Christmas break, Uh, except for the room. You can still see that blue down there, but yeah. Yeah, everything else is looks great. It's really nice, refreshed. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. so awesome. A New Year's refresh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cute. Yeah. Well, tell us. Like, let's jump in. Like, yeah, let's head to the lounge, been, right? Years. Yeah, let's get into the lounge. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'll kick it off with some stories and fun updates. I'm going to keep it really short because I really want everybody to get into this episode. It's such a good one. It's one we've been looking forward to putting out. Uh, we recorded this before Christmas break, so we've been like eager to get it live. Um, so yeah, anyways, keep it short. My story and fun update. Um, so I had a really chill Christmas, kicked it back. Nestor and I stayed here. Um, and then his parents drove in from Texas and we met them out in Vegas. So I, we were like there in two nights in Vegas, something like that. Um, did a little gambling, did a little, I don't know, walking around the strip. Classic Vegas. Um, I saw some of your outfits. They were so cute. Yeah, oh my God. I know. We were having a really Both fun of time. You. We love to dress up. Any opportunity to dress up, we love. So, um, yeah, we went shopping like a couple days before. No, we were going to go to Vegas. We're like, okay, everything is on sale from Christmas. We have to buy the perfect outfits. We just have to. And we found them. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so we had New Year's back here in LA. And then for my birthday, we went to Disney. And if you're in LA, you know that we had like, it felt like three weeks of just like the worst weather ever just pouring rain and like windy and just awful. So that's how my birthday was. It was bad. Like the day of your birthday. It was, it was pretty gnarly, but um, some birthday magic was happening at the happiest place in the world. And I like the clouds parted like midday and the sun was shining the rest of the day. Got a sunset. It was really awesome. So yeah, that's, my big That's long amazing. story fun update. <laughs> what did you get up That's to? So good though. Yeah, I was good. Well, I mean, I'm with you there. The 
the sunshine medicine for me, uh, which I feel like I'm now going to do out of order because <laughs> just on the whole weather note, I, I'm going to say more often than not, my sunshine medicine for this podcast is literal sunshine. And that is what my sunshine medicine is this week because of how bad the rain has been. If you're in LA, you know what that's like. We're not just complaining that, oh my God, it rained. It's literally like washing families down rivers. No, like, for it is, real. It's been so it scary. And now we have like this incredible wind. So we have weather. It's just it chooses to come and it comes real hard when it does. Um, but yeah, so my story of fun update, not too much. Like I just went back home for Christmas. Uh, it wasn't a very long visit, but it was nice. And we got back um, right in the middle of the rain. I think we like left right as snowstorms in Oregon started. And then we were getting back right as the flooding and the rain started in California. So it just felt like... Um, a winter wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Tiny window where it was like conceivable to get home and back. So we were very lucky. Um, and then, uh, yeah, got back and just being like getting back into things. It's been so, I, I thought that it was really bad when I left work, but it has gotten way worse. People are like, more people have quit. More people are sick. Oh, I'm gosh. just like, I... <laughs> It's like it's all so broke scary. loose while you were gone. Yeah. So I'm just trying to like remain calm, but luckily we're interviewing people. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the void is starting to become filled. Yeah. Just like, yeah, for real. Cut that branch off. off. Yeah, exactly. Focus <laughs> on what you need to. Oh, yeah. well, happy 2023. Hard start. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I know. know. Well, you already said you're sunshine medicine, so I'll just jump over to mine, unless you had anything else to add to it. No, no, no. Apparently okay. the weather. I'm loving the sunshine. I know. Oh, gosh, it's so pretty. It's not really, it's not my actual sunshine medicine, but I have been going on like hikes around Griffith and the weather has just been amazing. You can see the water. It looks just like a shiny. It's clear. Yeah, it's clear enough to see it, but it just looks like this like huge reflection. <laughs> because the sun is just Isn't shining bright on the water it's it's awesome but okay my real sunshine it's like medicine. say hello to la again <laughs> yeah yeah yes so my real sunshine medicine nestor and i invested in disneyland passes we got the magic key passes um and we're gonna be doing a lot of disney trips because well we kind Love of had that. to like make up for it <laughs> because of the cost and also now we can pretty much go any day uh, i don't think there's any blackout dates except for like christmas so so pumped. i think this is worth spending just like a moment on because people probably want to know like roughly what is the cost and what does it give you yeah so we definitely got the most expensive passes because the best passes have the least amount of blackout dates and we didn't want any blackout dates. And also the best pass comes with parking. So we get free parking and makes sense. Yeah. So it's very expensive. If you're to pay up front, it's over 1500, I think. Um, but we are on monthly payments of like 120 something, uh, per person. So it is very expensive. Um, but our thought is like, if we go at least once a month, we paid it off and more. Um, and we don't ever have to pay for parking. 
and we get photo passes included. So it's like we can pretty yeah, much that's get pretty good if we're like on broke. You know what I mean? Like it is a really broke summer. We can go to Disney for free literally any day that we want. So it's like a win win. You know, <laughs> they say money can't buy happiness, I, but <laughs> but it can buy you access to the happiest place on earth. So you got to be pretty happy there. Exactly. If you were that happy when it was torrential rains on your birthday, I do not think that this is. I should say, I do think this is money very well spent. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't happy it was raining, actually. It was quite miserable, but I was thrilled when the rain stopped. Um, And I was just like wishing my my way into sunny weather. And it arrived um, as a little birthday treat. Well, it was your birthday. It had to like... Yeah. Had to get the rain out. Yeah. But I was just trying so hard to clear up for your afternoon. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. I've definitely thought about the... Disney passes, but when I looked into them last time seriously, because we were thinking about getting them too, um, they were on pause for COVID. So that must yep. be they just this year they, or was it last year? Yeah. So they've been opening them up very sporadically. Um, I just right. we were sitting on the couch. I had a feeling I didn't see anything. I had a feeling I opened the page up and it was like, You're in the queue, waiting on your passes, waiting to purchase. And I was like, Oh, oh, I guess we're Whoa. buying them tonight. Um <laughs> I, I don't know if they're still available <laughs> by the time this episode comes out. Um, so you'll have to check. But maybe more will be released. They're going to be releasing them throughout the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed. I would definitely out. get That'd them. Oh, we're so excited. We're going to do, okay. <laughs> we're going to do like uh, weekdays there where I bring my laptop and go sit in the hotel and like work for a few hours and then like go take a lunch break, like the jolly holiday or something. And then like uh, do like a ride and then work. And yeah, we're actually going tomorrow. Not when this episode comes out. We're already gone, but yeah. <laughs> so we're going to test that out. I know. So you're really living that Southern California life. Like, Got to take advantage you could of be it. Surfing, skiing, and at Disneyland all in the same day. Literally, and still working. And we might in the comfort of your own home. We just might. <laughs> that challenge is not fully accepted, but almost <laughs> challenge nearly accepted. Let's see it, Katie. <laughs> It'll have to That's be a so really cool. good day. I'm really excited. But yeah, yeah, that'll be a crazy day. Try for Equinox. It's longer. <laughs> you could get more in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, what are you looking forward to? Oh, well, that's pass, awesome. Pass the mic to you. So I guess what I feel I'm looking forward to is sort of a what's hot, but it's because I'm really enjoying it and I wanted to bring it up. So I don't know if you've been watching it, White Lotus. Yeah, but don't spoil this new season for me. I haven't started. Okay, so you've it's like, seen season one? Yeah, and I'm dying to watch this new season. But TV shows, like, if I have to sit down and pay attention to it, then it's going to take me a while. I know, you know? it's pretty. Um, it's, yeah. It took me months to watch the first season. I haven't even finished Wednesday on Netflix. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? I, have to, I have to watch it, you know? So yeah. I just go back to my same old, same old. Um, so no spoilers, but you like it? No spoilers, but it is, it, it's complex. There's a, a lot of layers and I'm just, every minute I'm like, no, oh my God. Like, 
<laughs> honestly, the human, the ex- it's like an expose on the human nature. Totally. And I think it's perfect for this podcast. Like, I think people who listen to this podcast are probably also interested in this show. And I just have to say, I am, I'm so looking forward to watching it tonight and next week and whatever, because I'm very invested in this. And I like, I watched all of season one. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really liking it. So it's nice. a wreck for those who listen. And that's what I'm looking forward Ugh. to is chilling and watching my white Lotus season two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I need to, st- I need to start watching. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm missing out. Um, nice. I think you'll like it, but it is, it's gritty. But if you've seen season yeah. one, you're kind of prepared. Sure. Yeah. I like gritty. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. My looking yeah, forward what to. What are you looking forward to? Uh, more Disney trips, obvi. Um, Obviously. But I am also going to do a photo shoot with Ashlyn again, who took our photos for our cover. She's coming through to town. Amazing. And she was like, I have one spot. Like, it's early in the morning. Do you want it? <laughs> Basically. Um, I, I reached out, but... I've been reaching out for like three months being like, when are you coming back? I'm dying to work with you again. Um, yeah. Anyways. So uh, booking. She's booking so wicked. Her, I love her so much. I love all of her photos. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that shoot sometime like mid February. You know? Yeah. Not sometime. Okay, I know. Mid-February. I know when, but it'll be mid February. <laughs> yeah. You guys can just follow along on Katie's Instagram to see the beautiful photos that come out of this shoot. Yeah, I need new photos um, of my red hair. So I know it's a whole new look for you. Well, not new, but since the last time, <laughs> you gotta update it. Yeah. Um, do you have like a setting in mind, or is that all real hush hush? I don't know yet. I have no details on it. I just know that I wanted to work with her again. <laughs> so I was like, I'm booking you. We'll figure the rest out later. <laughs> yeah amazing oh so cool yeah well getting to the the meat of what i've been clearly trying to um lead up to is what i want to say is what's hot and my what's hot um actually i guess there's two i've just written one but i I finally remembered so i will say my first one is a book that i got for christmas by robert green it's called the laws of human nature and i actually heard about it on um, the skinny confidential him and her podcast because they interviewed him and i was listening Ah. to tiktoks i was listening to basically clips of robert green like talking about different parts of his book um, a bunch of other books that he has he has a lot of books on um I mean, it's not really psychology, but it's definitely how people think and how people operate. And this one is a summation of like all of human nature based on his assessment. It's so insightful. It's have it's you finished? Very it? interesting. No, it's oh. huge. Oh, so you're like it's working like, through it. That's it's like, great. It's it's massive, and I just read like a little bit every night and try to get through it. There's a lot of. Um, like historical references. So you can just see like, okay, human nature repeats itself or like, this is something we've seen before and stuff like that. And what I like is that he doesn't let you off the hook. He's like, you might think you're a saint here for these reasons, but, and then he definitely nails it. He's like, yeah, okay. These are things that even the people who think they're not succumbing to this issue may have said or done. And he's absolutely right. And it's so well-written. It's just, I feel like I'm learning, but I'm also just watching this beautiful story unfold. So I'm 
I will get back to everyone on that, but I'm really liking it. Um, my second what's hot is something that I've been seeing going around on TikTok. And I actually got a surprise yesterday from Mike, which I was not expecting, which was the face gym. Um, they have like a studio, I guess you call it, in New York. And it's hitting up like so many influencers are really liking it right now. What is um, it? I don't think it's like super new in LA though. It's, uh, how would I explain it? It's basically a luxury facial with a lot more physical movements to the face. So you get like a cleanse and a hydration and you get moisturizer, but you also get like a massage on your face and you get the electrode therapy. Wait, so do you have to go in person? Or or the yeah. he like bought you a okay so they don't do they have locations in L A or do you have to they go have out one to New location York? in L A oh okay I thought it was like okay no. Mike where's well, the plane ticket <laughs> <laughs> yeah what happened uh, um, so he actually drove me like he like totally surprised me and I thought he was gonna take me to get like lip filler or something because he kept being like don't wear makeup like don't do anything to your face like. And I was like, is it permanent? He's like, oh, it could be permanent. And he was just, oh my God, he was totally playing with me. But it turned out it was, it was face gym. So it's not like invasive in any way, but the gua sha definitely like lifts and like, it's that lymphatic drainage. It lifts and um, makes like, it made my jaw thinner. It made my chin like more defined. It made my cheeks fuller. And like, I looked so good for like 10 hours and my skin was literally glowing. It's glowing this morning. It was so cool. And I just felt so relaxed and it was just like a 30 minute like facial. So nice. It's very trendy right now. Lots of influencers on that, but I recommend that even just like the average person to go check it out if they can, they're going to be opening one in Santa Monica in the, in the spring. So nice. That sounds very lovely. Mm -hmm. And what a great, like, what a great gift to start off your year, like just like refresh and like ready for a good strong year. Oh, I love that. I know. It was really, it was very sweet. He was like, you're too stressed. You've been overworked and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's so nice. Sweetie. So <laughs> cute. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what's your what's m- hot? <laughs> mine are not as, I don't know, pretty. Um my what's hot are homemade lattes because I, I think I said this in the past episode. I got Nestor like a hand press espresso machine. It makes such good coffee. Um, yeah. So we've been making homemade lattes and they're amazing. Oof. Um, a candy jar. Let me show you. I think everyone should have a candy jar. We got this at Target. Oh my God, it's so, it's cute. so cute. I know. It looks like a little popcorn cart or something this is from the five dollars section in target and i was like i want a candy jar by my desk so lots of noise there so i have some candy and it's just been so fun to like what kind of candy do you put in it this has m&ms and (gasps) the other red jar has reese's like different kinds but they're all valentine's themed because, you know, seasons. I was going to say, it's going to be so aesthetic. Yeah. So I thought that was really cute. Um, and the last thing, which kind of plays into both, I guess, or more so the candy thing, is like living for your inner child. 
um, I think that's hot. I think everybody should live for their inner child and speak to their inner child and try and connect with that more than, yeah, all of the, the superficial outside stuff that taps into the ego. That's what I'm trying to like, Mm. you know, I can, I like feel my ego popping up and then I'm like inner child, inner child, come back. So trying to do things like the candy that are for my inner child. It is like, that's so funny that you say that. It's kind of like a lot of people I've been talking to and myself included have been at least in the last month learning how to like mother ourselves, like, you know, like, but in a good way, like in a kind way, like growing up is like learning to be your own mother, even if you're mm -hmm, man, woman, you know, non-binary person, you are just learning to be your own mother. That is who you are learning to be and like take care of your inner child and be all the things the world is not for you. So it's cool that that is like something yeah. you're working on and excited about. Yeah. And, and not to say that the superficial stuff is bad. I'm just saying sometimes it feeds my ego. No. Me personally. Um, you guys know that I love the superficial. I'm just saying if this is your first episode coming through, you're like, Ugh, what's her problem? nothing (laughs) no don't worry we're very (laughs) there's no problem Uh, amazing anyways that's my stuff you want to introduce that's perfect this is a good one i'm going to this is a really cool one um so i'll give you the episode goals but first i'm giving you a tiny spiel and plug uh, Katie and I have been really interested in the made to fades me specifically because I was getting targeted like crazy with the ads. And I was just like, Hey, this is perfect for me. So I started doing some research. What is ephemeral? What is a made to fade tattoo? Um, and we're definitely going to get into it in this episode, but we were so lucky that we connected with ephemeral and they felt the same way. They wanted to speak with us. They wanted to share more details than they'd been able to share with people through TikTok, through Instagram. So a podcast is the perfect place for them. So this is one of, I think one of their first um, major interviews with a podcast. Uh, so we are really lucky and so thankful Yeah. And we should be up on YouTube too. So you can kind of see some of our tattoos. Uh, Jeff's tattoo, we're speaking to the CEO, Jeff Liu. And um, it's a really cool episode. It's very, I feel like it's very personal because we both got tattoos and um, we hope that over time we will just keep updating you guys on how the tattoos are looking. So that won't be part of this particular episode, but we can say right now, at least just dropping it my tattoo is already starting to fade and it is being just over a month oh interesting mine hasn't started yet yeah it looks pretty much the same yours is still solid yeah yeah it looks so good um so mine is starting to fade it's just got a few little like skin colored dots between like um like in the thicker part of the letters um but if I moisturize it, it's less visible. So I can just see it's just starting like salt and pepper. Um, yeah. So that, that needed to be plugged in there before, uh, we got into the pre-record. So the episode goals for this one are, we're going to teach you about ephemeral. 
Uh, we're going to tell you probably way more than you can find on the internet about what the process looks like, what the studios are designed to do for you, and how you can expect your ephemeral to look and fade. We're going to probably tell you more than you can find online about the ink and some of the interesting components of it. Um, a little bit more about what to expect from safety and research going forward. We actually dive pretty deep into some of these things, and I think it answers a lot of questions for the skeptics, and it's pretty inspiring for those who already know they want one. Um, yeah, that being said, I think this episode will get you interested in The Made to Fade because I was I was interested but a little skeptical and now I am a huge advocate. Uh, and what we also cover is a little bit about how ephemeral has been giving back and supporting the tattoo community. So if you're already in the tattoo community, I think this one could also be interesting to you um, and help you learn a little bit more about why ephemeral is sticking out, but hopefully not like a sore thumb. So all in all, we hope that we'll educate and we'll inspire you and answer your questions about the Mage Fade. And like always, we want the conversation to get started, but I think there will be some questions for this one. So you can hit us up on the Instagram. Um, or you can always send us uh, an email if you'd like, and we'd be really happy to answer any questions or forward anything along to Ephemeral for you guys. So yeah, let's dive let's into do it. it. All right, guys, welcome to the interview portion. So today we're talking to Jeff Liu from Ephemeral. Ephemeral is the business of self-expression. They are focused on establishing tattoo wearing as the preeminent form of self-expression by offering a tattoo that is made to fade and available through inviting studios. This is the first and only tattoo that's made to fade in about nine to 15 months. Ephemeral features tattoo artists working in the same way as traditional parlors, but the ink is made of medical-grade, bioabsorbable, and biocompatible polymers with pigments that are routinely used in food, cosmetics, and other products. Their goal is to inspire you to take control of your body. Jeff Liu is CEO at Ephemeral Tattoo with a history as Vice President, Global Retail, and General Manager of Casper Canada, as well as Senior Global Manager of Deliveries at Tesla. Welcome, Jeff. We're really excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so to kind of give the listeners a little bit of context, we want to go over uh, your history before Ephemeral because you're a bit newer to the company. Um, so you worked with Casper and Tesla, like we just mentioned. Um, and this seems to be your first position as CEO. So I'm sure a lot of different responsibilities and what you were used to. Um, what drew you to business or what draws you to business and what separates like the position of CEO from the rest of management or something that you were used to doing? Yeah, I think my career um, certainly uh, probably had a lot of unexpected turns. Um, I'm from the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. My parents are uh, immigrants from Asia, software engineers, chemical engineers. I think they mostly aspired for me and my siblings to be doctors or lawyers. And then my first job out of college was selling cars for Tesla. Uh, and I always say, you know, that first first time I told my extended family the holiday, you know, everyone just kind of looked at me and were like, wait, so you're going to be not only a car salesman, but you're going to be, what is this, electric car salesman? 
uh, it was definitely something that was... Oh, yeah. I'm sure that was new, too. Like, when you got started, Tesla was probably just up and coming. Yeah, in 2011, uh, honestly, very few people had heard of Tesla. And Tesla is from the Bay Area. And even being in its uh, backyard, most of my friends, most of my family had never never heard of the company. Um, and it was just kind of like a crazy idea. Like, why would someone pay that much money for an electric, electric car? Um, and I think what drew me in was really this uh, affinity to the big vision that Elon had around changing the world, moving the world towards sustainability. And I had zero passion for cars. And to this day, I had zero passion for cars. But um, I just saw an opportunity to really spend my time on something that could have lasting impact. And I thought it'd be like kind of a two-year stint. I was like, oh, this is a good job out of college. You know, I'll try it, go do something else afterwards. I ended up being like six and a half years. Um, and during that time, I, I moved to the East Coast and lived in China for a few years. Um, and it was pretty, pretty uh, formative for me because I saw firsthand how do you build... Um, a category changing company, create a new paradigm. How do you really change hearts and minds? Because by the time I left, electric vehicles um, had become somewhat ubiquitous and Tesla had become a bit of a household name. And it was really, really hard. Uh, and there are a lot of times um, that most people, the company felt we didn't know what we were doing. Um, but I think it really helped me kind of grow up professionally. And then in 2017, I joined Casper, which I was the joke is like a funny pivot from car salesman to mattress salesman. It's you go back like 20 years, it's probably like, yeah, the two least, <laughs> yeah, like the two least desirable things to ever do. It's like, I shouldn't be a dentist next or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, similarly, when I met the founders there, I really saw this big vision around sleep as a wellness category um, and saw an opportunity to, to really help build a new business within, within the brand, which was retail because the company was e-commerce only uh, up until the time I joined. Um, and after spending a few years there, uh, this opportunity to join Ephemeral came up. And honestly, I never intended to be a CEO. Like that was never kind of a goal for me. Um, it, it, my through line has been kind of just chasing visions that felt hard and, and could really create lasting kind of consumer value. Um, and when, it, when I took the call with the founders, I was kind of like, I can't be a tattoo salesman now. You know, I really got to start to do something more air quote, like serious. Uh, but then... When I met them, I was really blown away by the fact that uh, so I met them in 2020 and they had been working on the technology for ephemeral since 2014. Uh, two of the founders are PhD chemical engineers. They all met at NYU. And um, first, I was I found the product to be resonant with my own upbringing coming from the family. I did. My mom always said, if you got a tattoo, you never get a real job. I'm not sure I ever got real jobs, you know, according to, to her kind of framework, but still. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, a tattoo that isn't forever. Like, wow, what a what an incredible way to really change the conversation, change the perception around body art. And uh, I thought there would be incredible opportunities to just expand participation. But the thing that really stuck with me um, was the fact that these founders had spent so long working on the product and had very little funding. And I thought to myself, wow, it takes a lot of grit to really commit yourself to something that you haven't monetized. I mean, most entrepreneurs are just trying to make a quick buck. They kind of have an idea, get something going off two, uh, two years off the ground, sell it. But here these guys were almost seven years at that point with nothing to show for it and just a lot of blood, sweat and tears um, and really still had conviction. And I just thought to myself, wow, this is, this is a team I really want to be a part of and I really want to be helpful if I, if I could. Um, and at what point course, did what? Yeah. Sorry, what point did the conversation start with you and Ephemeral? 
So funny enough, the company first reached out to me in 2019 and I just didn't even take the call. And then in 2020, they reached out again. And that was really the peak of COVID um, when all of us were trying to figure out, you know, which, which side, which way was the world turning. Good opportunity Um, to pivot. Yeah. And I was like, it felt like a good time to at least kind of be open to hearing um, uh, what opportunities there could be. So in terms of those early years where it was challenging, uh, did you start immediately with trying to raise capital? Was that in 2020 when you joined? Yeah, when I when I came in, there was actually the company was pretty much out of money, um, and so that was a big part of the initial job at hand was come in, help kind of put together a plan, um, a, a bit of a business plan, kind of a, a commercial strategy, and then raise capital. And um, we were able to raise some capital within the first couple of months, a very small amount, just to get us to launch was kind of the idea, and um, we were able to do that about six six ish months. Wow, that's impressive. That's great. Yeah. Um, um, so it, it seems like shortly after uh, you guys opened your first studio, you ended up raising $20 million. Um, was this your first time having to raise capital? Yeah, it was. When I was at Tesla, it was a publicly traded company. With Casper, it was pretty late stage, um, and late stage venture. So I think I joined Casper at Series C, and then we went public while I was there. But I never had the... Um, opportunity to kind of be around the table and trying to raise, raise uh, early stage capital. What were like the main challenges that came with that or what was like a big takeaway for you? Yeah. I mean, um, and I'm sorry for the background noise um, if it's coming through. Um, you know, I think the, uh, I'll be honest, it was pretty nerve wracking because when you spend your whole career just building and managing and kind of, um, and setting up KPIs and motivating people talking to investors is actually like surprisingly very different at first. It's like, you're actually trying to sell someone on the, something that's like deeply personal and intimate. And, and, and when you're an operator, you're also very much like a, here are the numbers, you know, they kind of speak for themselves, but with fundraising, it's a lot about narrative. Um, and uh, it, especially for what we were doing, I think we're not, we don't really fit into like a very obvious venture box. Um, and venture in general, not as a negative commentary, but just as a matter, more matter of fact, venture, venture has to move in like patterns. It's like, okay, 2014, it's like, oh, direct to consumer, right? Warby Parker, Casper. Um, and now, then it became the creator economy. And now it's all about AI. And, you know, so tattoos don't really fit naturally into any of that. And I think a lot of, of venture capitalists would see tattoos and just assume it's niche. And so a big part of the conversation was really trying to help illustrate you know, while yes, it's a tattoo on the surface, ultimately what tattoos are manifestation of is something much more, much deeper, much more universal, which was this um, desire for individuality and express that individuality. And that's ultimately why tattoos can be found anywhere in the world. You go to Asia, you go to Europe, anywhere in America, you'll find someone wearing a tattoo. Um, and I think helping connect the dots between what we're trying to create and that deeper human um, kind of ubiquitous behavior was was some of the more challenging pieces of this. Yeah, I definitely think that that niche is something very novel and something that's definitely trending right now with that individuality. Um, also, I think that opening up that that um, self expression for a huge portion of the population that would have never otherwise tried a tattoo, I think it's incredibly novel. So. I think it's interesting. What what do you think you're most proud of in terms of the first 
early stages of building ephemeral till now? I think um, we have really number, there's two things I think we're really, really proud of. One, to your point about opening up self-expression for a population um, of folks who another, otherwise would not consider tattoo wearing, you know, 70, almost 75% of our customers are first timers who never wore a tattoo in their lives, uh, but all had this idea and probably were a lot like me coming from households like mine, where, you know, you kind of, you grow up in this environment where you're not supposed to take that much risk. Like you can take kind of like quiet risk, but taking like external risk, putting yourself out there in a very visible way is not something that a lot of households I think promote or encourage. And um, with ephemeral, we've been able to really un- unlock that. And the number of stories that we are able to be privy to hear around tattoo wearing are just incredible. I mean, we have folks who want to commemorate something more sentimental, like something, uh, someone passing or a pet passing um, to the more kind of irreverent. Like we had this customer in the spring who was clearly going like through this like YOLO moment and they got a potato and we were like, why? Well, so why potatoes? And I'm like, well, you know, I just always love potatoes and ephemeral makes it possible for me to wear a potato tattoo and not care. Um, so I think that, you know, consumer piece of really being able to help people kind of discover something about themselves is really powerful and something we would care deeply about. And the second piece is really, I think with, um, the artist community, um, the, a lot of people ask like, why would you, why would you bother going into own and operate? Why not just take the ink, monetize that? And we saw this opportunity, um, early on with really in, in terms of improving the category at large. And artists were really where we got a lot of this feedback from, you know, the artist, um, the artist day-to-day experience is pretty tough um, in the traditional category. It's, you, it's kind of dog eat dog. It's hard to get apprenticeships. If you're not like one of the 1% marketer in the tattoo space, you're pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. Um, there's a lot of physical, it's a lot of physical um, stress in your body. You know, most artists have a very finite shelf life in terms of how much they can monetize their, their craft. And, um, and it's, they all, a lot of artists shared that there wasn't really a split space for them to learn or collaborate and add to their skills. So we saw this opportunity to really create a new artist paradigm, you know, give fixed income, offer healthcare, offer equity, um, and offer environment where they can learn from each other and, and broaden their, their, their technical craft as well. Um, and we're still very small. Um, we've had about 50 artists, 50 artists with us. Um, but we, but we have made a meaningful difference on their lives and, you know, many of them highlight that. That's great. I love that. Um, did, was there any like pushback initially from the tattoo community when you first opened? A hundred percent. I think initially um, there was a lot of skepticism and I think the perception initially was, Hey, this is a threat. And I think that's very normal. And I saw it firsthand also with, with Tesla. And it's a big reason why Tesla decided to sell direct to consumers where, you know, Elon had this moment of, Hey, if we distribute through the traditional kind of paradigm, we are at risk of, uh, undermining our own technology. And that's partially why we decided to go direct ourselves to. Um, but I'd say with every passing month that that skepticism has dissipated when we are able to contextualize what we're trying to do. You know, we have tried to uh, be very clear that we're not trying to force our artists to choose between the permanent craft and made to fade craft. For example, if you're a full-time artist here, it's a four day a week model. So you can pick up an extra day or two if you want um, practicing traditional tattooing. Um, we also, uh, talk a lot about the importance of investing in financial security, really trying to set ourselves up as a model for the entire industry. And then number three, you know, again, 70, almost 75% of our customers are first timers. A lot of them actually 
uh, say, I think almost 40% and are based on recent surveys say they now would get a permanent tattoo after getting a made-to-fade tattoo because it really kind of has broken down that barrier. So, you know, we, we tell all artists, whether or not you work with this or not, we're trying to grow the pie. You know, we're trying to really help tattoos accelerate as a category. And if you work with ephemeral or not, you'll still be the benefit, a beneficiary of that. Yeah, like all, all tides rise together kind of thing. We actually have this 100%. really great statistic uh, that Ashley wrote. Um, so uh, there are apparently 60 million adults, American adults, that have considered a tattoo but ultimately have decided not to, probably because of uh, various factors. Ashley, um, if you want to speak to your experience, like you are literally their target market. I, I mean, I'm assuming. Um, Ashley, her very first tattoo was at Ephemeral. Um, I have previous ink, uh, more traditional ink. Um, so like, this is one of the biggest reasons why Ashley reached out in the first place is because we had been talking about this for, for like weeks, uh, at a certain point, um, of her excitement of like, this exists, I, I can commit, but then not have to commit forever. Um, so you totally like created something for those 60 million Americans, um, that previously didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, Ashley, do you want to speak to your experience on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, Jeff, you pretty much summarized my experience and my words. Um, I definitely come from a family where risk is uh, not a great thing. So if you take risks, they've got to be kind of under the under the table. Don't let grandma see. And um, I'm definitely a creative, as Katie mentioned at the beginning. And so I definitely felt that I was living under my full potential. I hadn't really wanted a tattoo, to be honest, but the idea of doing something, quote, risky was definitely exciting. And if it was risk that was within a safe space, I was willing to try it. So I definitely think ephemeral was like a light bulb moment. You know, I saw the ad online and I was like, yes, this is for me. I can't believe it. And I also like to say that, um, you know, growing up, friends are like, I'm getting tattoos. Da, 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 da. And I would always say I'd get a tattoo if it only lasted a year, but never thinking that that would actually become a reality in my lifetime. So I was eating my words and I thought I better go. So, yeah, I was just floored that um, that happened while I still wanted to try it out and get a tattoo. So I'm definitely your target market. I'm one of those 60 million. I guess I'm now on the other side. Um, but for me, I did so much research and I figured with having a podcast, we could add to that and answer other people's questions who are kind of like me. So I guess launching from there, can you tell us a little bit more? Because I'm, I'm science-y, I'm research-based. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ink? Like, um, I know there were two PhDs who were developing it, and uh, there was a lot of research going on before uh, it even kind of came to the table. But can you tell us what that process was like and what kind of trials were going on for the ink? Yeah, absolutely. And, and first, I just... I love, thanks for sharing that story. I love that. I mean, it, it, to your point, it's, it's kind of right on, right on the money in terms of our target customer and, and that story. And, uh, hopefully, you know, over the next many years, uh, your, your, the, the ephemeral will have played a role in kind of changing your appetite for risk and changing how you express your individuality. I mean, I think for all of us, uh, ephemeral tattoo is kind of the beginning of a journey. Um, and, uh, I will say, I, this is probably not the right time to plug this in, but, my mom, who uh, told me never to get a tattoo, got an ephemeral tattoo last summer. And it was like this really funny moment where I was like, 
we were on the phone. I was like, Hey mom, you're coming to New York. It'd be so nice if you like showed me how proud you are of me getting a tattoo. And she was like, okay. And then she like sends me all this swipe that she's been collecting over the years, like of all these different rose, rose, uh, uh, kind of rose uh, inspiration. So I was like, a lot of people really want tattoos. They just won't admit it on the, at first. They won't admit it. I told my dad on, on FaceTime right after. And he was like, Oh, you got a tattoo. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, Dad, it's made to fade. And he was just like, Hold on. And now he's like, You know, this is pretty cool. You know, maybe, maybe I'll come see what that's all about. So, that's awesome. That's, that's so funny. Um, and then to answer your question on the science side, so uh, first I'll talk a bit about permanent tattoos and what make permanent tattoos actually stay. And then um, I can kind of draw a line to how that inspired our product development. So when traditional ink is applied, um, it's applied first uh, below the epidermis into the dermis. And the reason why that's necessary is because the epidermis renews itself every two to three weeks. Um, so anything you put on the epidermis, outer layer of skin won't last. That's why temporary tattoo stickers um, cannot last more than a couple weeks at best. Um, so that's insight number one. Insight number two was um, when uh, ink is applied to the dermis, it actually um, starts off as a bunch of small particle sizes. But then very quickly, due to its hydrophobicity, will kind of clump up into very large particles that become too large for your body's immune system to attack and then eliminate. Um, and so we had asked ourselves, uh, one, can we create ink that goes in the dermis? That was relatively easy, you know, with, and that's why we got to an ink that had to be applied with the tattoo needle. Um, and then two, how do we mimic the that aggregation? Because we want it to last a long time, but ensure that over a predictable time horizon that actually the ink can get small enough to be removed by your body's immune system. And that's where we came across the realization of mixing color additives with bioabsorbable polymers and bioabsorbable polymers um, are commonly used in like medical sutures. So if anyone's gotten a stitch that dissolves over time, that's actually very similar in terms of the base technology. So by mimicking these two, by combining these two things, plus uh, another solution, um, we were able to m- get that aggregation, but then because polymers have a shelf life, they're, they're finite, they don't last forever. They kind of just naturally degrade as they degrade. The particles are getting small enough for your body's immune system to, to remove femoral ink. Um, and because for that reason, that's why the rain, there is a range on fade times because it's your body doing the work and everyone's body's um, quite different. And so, um, that's kind of an oversimplification of how the product works. I think the journey is quite fascinating and um, was quite difficult, which is why it took so long for us to, to get off the ground. Um, first, the, the founders realized, hey, it's really important that we prioritize safety um, if we're going to put something in anyone's body. And so the first three years of Dallin actually were dedicated to material science research. You know, what are the materials that we can use to put in the human body that um, would be safe and naturally uh, eliminate without any long-term consequences? Um, and with that research, we were able to identify a number of materials that are commonly used in food. Um, I mentioned about uh, medical sutures as well that were all independently FDA approved um, and can kind of and break down naturally. Um, and then we finally got to testing. Um, the found, our founders realized that uh, it's A, because of resources and B, because of just general skepticism um, and see just because of speed that the best people to test on was going to be themselves. So they, they took hundreds of tattoos, hundreds of tattoos uh, early on. And um, a lot of people assume the hardest thing to figure out is um, 
how to make a tattoo disappear. Actually, it was much harder to make a tattoo disappear after a long time. Most of the initial samples that the team produced would only last about a month. Um, and so really for most of the product development history of ephemeral, it's been how do we push the fade time out long enough? Because all of our research and also our own intuition suggested that if you're going to go through the pain, you're going to put something in your body. You, As you said, Ashley, you want something that lasts like a year, a, lo- a bit longer. We even have customers that say they want something that lasts two to three years, four years. Um, and it took a lot of iteration on the formulation, 50 in fact, before we got to an ink that um, could last about nine to 15 months. And then there's this whole other part of the business, which is not obvious, but we, to create this novel formulation, we also had to create our own manufacturing technology. So while the ink is patented, uh, the formulation's patented, we also have proprietary manufacturing um, process as well. And so we are vertically integrated. We have our own laboratory, our own manufacturing site, um, and we protect the manufacturing as a trade secret. Um, and even to this day, I would say, we still find ways to improve on the ink, which I can get into. Um, but I think that gives you kind of a sense of the initial history and, and how we got here. That is so fascinating to me. Uh, well, I was looking all over PubMed for any kind of like literature or any white papers. Do you have any just for the science curious? We are. Uh, so we started a one thing I'll mention first is um, the FDA doesn't regulate the tattoo industry. So when we went through this material science um, kind of uh, exploration, we knew we would have to kind of set our own bar for safety. Um, and we had to ask ourselves, Hey, if we become very successful, um, what kind of statement do we want to be able to make about safety? So we've tried to really take a lot of measures to ensure that we have the safest product, um, in the tattoo category. And one of those additional things we did, uh, was we started a, uh, IRB approved study. So the IRB is a functioning body that sits below the FDA that basically studies, um, res- uh, that has standards of research that um, balance ethics, patient welfare. Um, and so IRB, if you're going to initiate an IRB proof study, you have to release your formulation. You have to show them, hey, this is what we're going to ask uh, participants to do. Um, if they prove you, they basically are saying, hey, this is this is ethical, this is safe, um, et cetera. So the study uh, has been completed. Um, we have all of the conclusions which uh, basically support fade and safety claims. Um, that is something we're hoping to get peer reviewed and then actually release through a third party publication uh, next year. And the reason why we've decided to take that step, although it's a bit more onerous, is we think that having a third party review the materials and create a white paper would actually dispel any concerns about legitimacy. Um, so we will have a white paper, but it has to probably wait till uh, late next year at the latest um, before it's available for the public. But all of the claims we make are supported by, by the actual results of the, of the study. That's amazing. And I love that you're going that extra step. I think, um, yeah, that'll, that'll lock down that extra few people that are like, (laughs) totally. We get those questions all the time and, um, you know, we do our best to engage directly and transparently. Brennell, um, one of the co-founders, he spends a lot of time talking to customers, but we know that sometimes for customers, they just want to see it. They want that artifact out there. We, We totally get that. Um, and so hope to hope to have that available soon. Wonderful. Um, I'm curious if it, your process of keeping the uh, the ingredient list essentially private, is that common for other tattoo inks or is that specific for ephemeral because it is kind of new? Yeah, um, it's something we, we've debated a lot um, 
because we get this question. In, I think the proxy we, we always use is when you see an ingredient list, it actually isn't necessarily reflective of 100% of what's in, in a product. And we kind of use this example of Coca-Cola. Like Coca-Cola seems like very simple on the surface. It's like syrup, some flavoring. But um, the formulation of Coca-Cola has been a secret for 100, and 100 plus years. Um, and so, and the reason why is because there is something important in terms of intellectual property that we want to, you know, that any, any company would naturally be incentivized to, to retain. And um, so that definitely is a driver for us. You know, the team work, spent practically their entire adult lives developing this. And um, it's something we would do want to kind of protect um, to a certain extent. On the other hand, um, we, the majority of the materials we use are uh, the bioabsorbable polymers. So we'll probably never release 100% of the materials, but a vast majority of the materials um, are, are available. And we'll probably release more of those materials with the IRB study. Um, everything we have is found naturally. Um, well, I shouldn't say everything, but uh, majority is found naturally. And um, we've deliberately stayed away from any known carcinogens. Uh, we stayed away from any materials that uh, come from our animal derived. Um, and so we have a list of things that we don't use. And we hope that that level of transparency balances um, kind of consumer interest in our own IP, IP priorities. Do uh, consumers ever ask you about allergies they might have? Like, can people call in and say, I have this specific allergy, tell me if it's a contraindication, that kind of thing? Yes, absolutely. So we, we ask customers if there's any specific concern they have um, on an allergy to please contact us directly and we would, we would answer that very directly. Um, this conversation literally a couple weeks ago we had, and I think we'll probably um, in 2023 start to list out all the allergies that um, if you have that you should stay away, stay away from ephemeral ink. Um, I will say that with any product that goes in your body, you know, even though we've taken and prioritize safety, uh, it's it's not practical or impossible to assume that no one will have any adverse reactions. Um, you know, itchiness, redness are kind of common things that can happen um, uh, early on. But um, but I think in terms of lasting human kind of consequence or safety consequence, those are things that customers can be very very confident um, have been eliminated. Can you tell us about the limitations in creating the ink or like uh, from when you open the doors to where we are now, um, it seems like there, it, it, the ink has essentially changed or evolved um, to accommodate some of the needs. Uh, I guess I should say, um, for example, uh, we were seeing some reviews where people were saying, oh, my tattoo ended up lasting 15 months or 16 months or whatever, which is longer than uh, what they had originally been quoted. So um, what kind of limitations were you running to in the very beginning and what kind of solutions have you made now based off of that? Yeah. So the when it comes to any, any novel product, um, you do your best to kind of identify, anticipate every variable that can affect product performance. In our case, you know, we're talking about human skin, human body, artist application, um, and also tattoo design and understanding, hey, the, there's, a, there's a, a breadth of different designs. Some require more ink, some require less ink. Um, and so we ran our initial studies. We tried to, we prioritized um, formulation and skin types. So we used the Fitzpatrick scale um, to make sure that we had diverse skin type representation um, in all of our initial studies. Those all happen uh, to be done on single place, the same placement of the body, right? 
since we've launched, we've started to see, okay, placement actually also is another variable that we should probably be accounting for. If you do something on your bicep versus your leg versus a wrist, we're starting to see variance in terms of how fade times might be. And that large is coming from the fact that the amount of water that's in those body parts um, can be different. And so that's one variable we've said, okay, we have to understand that's a bit better. Um, the second um, has is always going to be a bit unknown, which is the diversity of immune system and immune, immune responses. Um, and that's just going to come through sample sizing over time, just more, more tattoos, more customers, more feedback. Um, and then to the other point I made about tattoo placements, uh, or sorry, tattoo designs and how much volume of ink goes into a design and how much that affects fade times, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the lay of the land that we've been navigating since we've launched. Um, and we've done now 10,000 tattoos, over 10,000 tattoos. So we have a lot more data than we had before launch. So part of it is expectation setting, like, hey, how do we do a better job of educating customers on the variability and why that may occur? We've also started to improve education on tattoo design and saying, look, if you want a tattoo that's not going to last more than a year, you probably don't want this heavy saturation and these big, big, bold lines or vice versa, because we have a lot of customers who want fine line tattoos. So, hey, if you want a fine line tattoo, that might not actually last nine months. Um, so just be aware um, that there's a bit of a trade off if you don't. If you want to move very little ink. Um, and we've also, uh, within our own formulation, as we account for these variables, we are working to try to narrow the variance that it can happen. And um, you know, I, I can't get into all the details of that because a lot, a lot of it's IP, but you know, there are, even though there is going to be some unknowns of the human body, we do think that with every passing month, we can understand the variables to account for. And we think there's ways to modify the formulation to narrow that, that range and make sure that a higher proportion of the, the bell curve is falling within that, uh, in, within that range. Other changes we've made, which are more aesthetic and kind of just more about um, improving the quality of the tattoo, we often will um, toggle vibrancy. So how black the ink is, you know, how bright that is, um, is something that we can affect and we have affected. Um, there's also a bit in terms of artist usability. So one of the, th one of the inherent qualities of made to fade ink is that the particle sizes are larger than permanent ink. And when you have larger particle sizes, it kind of has limitations on how you can apply the tattoo, the level of detail you can get apply. And so probably with your uh, experiences, you may have heard from artists like, Hey, you know, there's certain stuff like fill-ins. We don't do fill-ins in a traditional way. We do it this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I had that experience that. with mine. Yeah, because um, I I got Saturn and I was wanting to really saturate the rings. And the artist was explaining like, oh, if, like we can't really do that. Like it's not it's not going to fade correctly or evenly. Um, so there was a little bit of education required in that um, for me. Um, was there any sort of like learning curve or education for the artists themselves? Absolutely. Um, I mean, in, I'd say in general all brands of tattoo ink require a bit of have a bit of a learning curve. Like no, all inks don't work the same way, but certainly uh, with our ink um, there is, I think what we've tried to optimize with artists is transfer, like how, how much the ink flows, how quickly they can transfer a line. That's been very important. Um, particle size modification to enable different types of shading. So our goal is to enable most forms of shading um, for, for our artists. 
And the way we attack that is we have these surveys that artists always fill out after they do a tattoo. So we're always collecting kind of their own ratings on, hey, how did this batch of ink do? Did it kind of perform to your expectation? And our team um, based in our lab takes that literally week by week and, and uses that to help inform future uh, future iteration. That's very so, cool. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we we both encountered something like that. For me, it was the concept of like, let's not make these lines too thick. If you're a bit nervous, like you want it to last about a year, let, like let's not just drill that one down. So I went for a slightly smaller, slightly more fine line tattoo. And then for Katie, of course, her Saturn with the thicker filled in rings, we got the advice there. Um, I do want to know a lot more about what's to come. And I think those questions will fall under that. So before we jump to like future expectations and things to expect, um, I wanted to know a little bit about the background and the rationale for the aesthetic studios. Is that because of the newbies, the number of newbies, or what's your rationale for that? Uh, the, the studio design. Yeah, the studio design mm -hmm. and just sort of the concept of making them comfortable. I feel like they're a little different than the traditional studio. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of ephemeral is um, born out of kind of at least an attempt at deeply understanding our customer and what our customers' needs are. And, you know, permanence on the surface is a huge barrier, but there's a lot of other barriers. Um, one is that the industry, based on just its origins, can be a little bit intimidating. Um, could be a bit more masculine than perhaps um, uh, that it's both preferred or reflected in, in the demographics of the customer. And, and especially if you're a first timer, there's a lot of nerves, right? It's like, oh, is it going to hurt? Am I going to like the design? Where should it go? And let's say you're also then ta being tattooed in a, in a part of your body that's a bit more visible or more, more vulnerable. Most tattoo studios kind of are like fishbowls. Like you kind of go in there and you're like on display as you're being being tattooed. And so we kind of tried to account for all of that and said, okay, how do we create a studio experience that can be a little disarming, like brings a little bit more joy into the experience? So you stop thinking about the pain, right? Not like a doctor's office, which is really clinical. We put, you know, some of your favorite candy as kids around you. Um, we also want it to be an experience. You know, this is something that's very memorable for you. It's an important moment. And we want to make sure that the environment reflects that and something that kind of creates a visceral, like a positive visceral effect too. We want it to account for some degree of privacy. We don't want you feeling locked in with your artist because that's a, hey, it's like, again, a very vulnerable thing, but with just enough privacy where you don't feel super exposed. Um, and so all those factors were very deliberate. The other factor, which is less obvious unless you've been to multiple studios, is every studio is different. Um, we yeah, that was my question. Yeah, I was going to ask, because um, you have six total studios, and all of the studios are in very large cities. What went into choosing those cities? Um, and then, yeah, I would love for you to elaborate on on the individual studios as well. Yeah, um, so in terms of just uniformity, you know, we, we recognize that the tattoo industry is special because it's individualistic, right? And we are the first brand in the tattoo space, and it would be such a travesty if we came in and tried to like Starbucksify the, the industry and like rob the industry of its authenticity. So we really invest quite a bit of resource in saying, hey, let's make sure every studio has its own creative project that reflects the community and, and has its own specific special inspiration. Um, and so that you as a consumer would want to travel to these different locations as well, because you know what, your artists are different. Like it's not the same person making your cup of coffee. It's not like a formula. There's something special in its differences. Um, <clears throat> in terms of city selection, you know, we... We really wanted to go um, geographically broad. Uh, 
because we know that the problem we're solving is is in one that's ubiquitous. And I think it's very typical for brands to kind of stay coastal, which I always find in my experience in consumer to be the risk of creating like these uh, echo chambers of like, oh, well, you know, a New York, a New York brand becomes New York centric because that's all they're exposed to. And all of a sudden you forget about the Midwest and the South and all these other customers that have the really interesting needs and personalities that make a brand really special over time. So that was definitely one tenant of like, hey, let's go broad and geographically. And then we wanted to make sure we um, were covering markets like Atlanta and Houston, because these are also markets that reflect our values of diversity um, markets that you you have this these kind of cultural cultural tensions and or just opportunities for cultural discourse. Um, Atlanta and Houston are both minority majority cities. Um, aside from myself, you know, Brennell is from the Caribbean. Bandan is from India. Josh is from a Jewish family in Long Island. Like we're a very diverse team and we wanted to make sure that our, our distribution reflected that in Houston, you know, is, is the fourth largest city in the U S. Um, I'm curious why you chose yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I'm Please. curious why you chose uh, Houston over Austin, because I know Austin is a much larger city. It's got more of that kind of like hippie vibe. Um, why Houston? Yeah, I think Houston generally is under underappreciated for its rich, rich kind of cultural history. Um, again, a mi- minority majority city, <clears throat> fourth largest city in the U.S., um, really vibrant, you know, kind of immigrant uh, roots um, and a place where uh, there is, we just thought this like, probably a deep need for individuality and self-expression. Um, we'll probably eventually be in Austin for the record, but <clears throat> we just wanted to be sure that uh, our choices and our first points of expansion were, were not unintentionally homogenous in, in, in representation. I really love that. I mean, that conversation is huge right now. It's huge in every single field. It's huge in my field in genetics. And I appreciate that I made a choice aligned with my values without even knowing that. So thank you for considering those things that we all should be considering. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I think, honestly, I'm falling more and more in love with ephemeral and I'm understanding more why the ink is not just the um, product to monetize. It's uh, an experience, if I'm understanding correctly, and it's a whole way of of living and a whole way of thinking. And we're really talking more about the individuality and the breaking free of risk and um, sort of the backlash that comes with with risk. So I'm appreciating the depth to that. Um, I think I'm I'm pretty curious as well. Um, Well, I have a million questions. (laughs) But I guess we should talk a little bit more about, sorry, I lost my train of thought here. I think eight, eight in the morning is still a little hard. For me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> um, do you want to move to the rapid fire after your last yeah. question? Yeah. yeah Cause sure. we have like a bunch of questions about like the future that we're like, okay, tell us, tell us. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, while Ashley's finding her question, um, I guess I want to touch really quickly on um, the tattoo artists again, because we, ta- we we kind of talked about them a little bit, but you mentioned that you have 50 total artists. Um, so as somebody with uh, previous tattoos with real ink, um, when I when I was getting my first tattoos, I would be specifically looking for the artist, like this outside of the, the design. I had something. <laughs> oh, perfect. Great. Um, so Thanks, I had like Kate. something already kind of in mind, but... Um, I wanted to find the perfect artist. So because ephemeral is so small, you kind of 
run into constraints with how many artists you actually have. So what is the process in finding artists? Um, and do you run into that problem where people are saying like, my favorite tattoo artist doesn't work for ephemeral yet. Like I can't get ephemeral without them doing it. Yeah, I think um, the, I think what you're getting at is also first and foremost, this like question of artist choice and how much do we want that choice to be a part of the, the user journey. And certainly with permanent tattooing, it is uh, kind of the way in, you know, when we take a step back, when we took a step back and asked like, okay, well, if we're going to build this brand and we're trying to be consumer centric about that, we have to ask ourselves like, what are the things that are, are the way they are because that's just the way it is or because they actually are what is valuable or preferred for consumers. And I think because the industry is so fragmented, there is no brand, there's no other way aside from your artist. That's kind of why that paradigm exists. And um, what we really thought we understood when we asked customers of why they want to choose artists, it really was less about the person, but more about a function of design, tattoo design and style. And that when you actually go deeper on the question of tattoo design, it's much broader than just individual artists. Like maybe you want to do something that's Japanese art. Maybe you want to do something that's um, specific in the anime category. And, you know, sure, the artist matters initially, but that's only because you don't have another proxy to understand, like, how do I figure out who's going to, how am I going to create this, like, really cool anime tattoo? And we also realized that it became another factor of, like, decision paralysis. It just was, like, one of the many other questions that... Um, on a list of for a prospective tattooer that kind of creates some anxiety and like hesitation. Like, am I getting my artist choice wrong is kind of like the big, big concern. Um, and so we started from a place of like, Hey, let's see if we can build a brand that is trusted and has a breadth of artists that we rigorously select that can do a range of tattoo design and see if that helps dispel that really instinctual need to say, I want to select my individual artist. And I'd say that's kind of a, ongoing experiment maybe in a few years we will allow for artist selection um, but we really want to first understand what those questions consumers have when they're trying to to figure out their style and design um, in terms of the selection process or how we go through it so uh there isn't like a linkedin for tattoo artists uh so we uh, do a lot of our uh outreach via instagram we we look for uh, artist portfolios we do look at we do look at their portfolios to decide who uh, we want to engage with. Um, we typically go through this phone screen process, which starts with more value alignment versus technical evaluation. And then assuming there's a value alignment and kind of a customer centricity and a, and a passion for, for what we're building, uh, we'll bring uh, artists in for a nine day kind of training process with us in a studio. Um, and it's only after that nine day process, we've had a chance to evaluate not just how they tattoo, but how they interact with actual customers. Do we actually decide um, together if, if, if there is a, a good fit? Um, and what we find is that after we open up in a market, like the initial selection is the hardest. But once we open a market, we uh, actually generate a lot of inbound interest from tattoo artists, mostly because of the value um, set that we communicate about financial security, growth and development, collaboration, Um so on every market now, uh, it's been really positive surprise. We have a list of artists that are waiting to to be called up to join our studios, um, and uh, we feel you know really privileged uh, to to have that happening. That's great, and um, yeah, great explanation. I I feel like um, my initial process would would have been backwards, but it makes complete sense because like I are always knew I would get tattooed. Like I would never really had a fear or hesitation of it. Um, but if the majority of your customers this is their very first time and they have a ton of hesitation around it. That makes complete sense. Um, 
let's move into the rapid fire. We have some juicy questions. <laughs> cool. Um, first and foremost, do you have an ephemeral? Yeah, and I have like over 18. Ah, oh, yeah, great. Like, what are they? Yeah. So there's some, I, you know, since we're, I can't take all my clothes off, probably would be appropriate, but yeah, I'll show you some not. of my arm. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one I got um, down in Atlanta in May. And uh, it's a piece That's of flash, cool. which for those who don't know the term flash is like a pre-designed, pre-designed tattoo. And this artist, Asia, she was a college basketball player. So it's kind of like this fun, it's like either you could think it's like the VMA reference or it's like Michael Jordan tattoo, but in space. Um, so I just was kind of like, Hey, pick a piece of flash that you like. And then this was, um, what I got probably about a month ago. Um, it's the, uh, Hermes kind of winged shoes. We got this during the marathon. We did a marathon event in New York and I got that recently from, um, from Claudio. And so, and then there's some that are faded. Like this one is a little over a year old. It was an Eagle, uh, Eagle head tattoo. Yeah. You can hardly see. Yeah. And so. My body, my body is an ephemeral canvas. Uh, right. It's one of the perks of the job. That's amazing. And we were going to ask about family and friends, but you already answered that question. So your mom has one. Does anyone else that you're close with have one that you said, you've got to try it? Yeah, my dad got one as well. Um, at the same time, he, I think he enjoyed it less than my mom. Uh, I think he was kind of just like begrudgingly doing it. And, uh, and he has a much lower pain tolerance than my mom. Uh, is what I found out. Uh, and all my friends, my wife has probably 10 ephemeral tattoos. Um, uh, most, she's a faster fader than me. So hers actually generally don't last more than 12 months, which is really interesting. Um, <clears throat> and I think uh, at this point, if you're my friend, you probably have at least one ephemeral tattoo. It's uh, That's great. Otherwise, That's we're so just not cool. friends. But <laughs> do, you have, do you have regular ink as well or just ephemeral? I don't have permanent ink. Um, I'm very open to permanent ink at this point now. I think it's just to me like a question of what I want for more than a year. I do find myself, um, and you know, I think I am kind of the target customer. There is just something fun about change for me and being able to like, like these tattoos I have on me are most of them. Like I just tell artists, like you pick your own, like you pick whatever you want to put on me. Cause it's like, to me kind of a fun way to build that connection and be like, I don't have to like deeply be passionate about it, but I think it'd be fun and really enjoy it. And I'm kind of liking that, like just that constant being able to like add a bunch of tattoos to my body. Um, but I would definitely at some point consider getting a permanent tattoo. I just have to find that right inspiration. Yeah. Can you tattoo perfect. over the same spot? Mm. Like if you get yeah, one like we, right here, fades, you can tattoo back over it. A hundred percent. We, we do have customers that come back and say, Hey, look, I, I want this tattoo for two to four years. Um, but I don't want it forever, but can we, we'll do touch-ups. Um, touch-ups though, we don't, uh, we won't do a touch-up until six months in. And the reason for that is we want the skin to heal because we want to minimize any kind of long-term skin marking. And six months is an appropriate time for the skin to fully heal underneath the ink. Um, and then have, have to have it go over. And I'd say long-term because of that behavior, you know, we're starting to just collect more data points on whether or not we should create like a two to four year tattoo. I think that's hundred percent possible. Um, and we're starting to see like a pretty strong minority of folks who really want that longevity. Um, so that could be one of the things that we have, um, over the next few years. If you go that direction, will you have the option for like people to come for a one year for a four year, that kind of thing? Yeah. Originally my, my feedback to the team was like, Hey, let's not introduce that complexity, but given the customer feedback that we're getting today and kind of this range, like there are people who want a six month tattoo, people want a two year tattoo, um, 
probably is inevitable that we have to offer some level of optionality. I don't know if we'll market it, but we may make it something more kind of on the back end, like, hey, if this is, you know, please let us confirm what the length of time you want is, and then we can just fold in that ink instead. That's cool. Um, I'm wondering about color. Is color coming? Yeah, color is 100% um, on the on the roadmap. It's something we've been prioritizing. It's taking a little longer. Um, well, I'll say red is the first color ink that we're going to be introducing. It's the most popular ink outside of black. Uh, red, pure, like red line tattoos are really, really common, but red's also needed for a lot of black work too, if you're going to build something really you know, kind of interesting. But red is one of the hardest inks to, to, to develop because notoriously most red that occurs in the world is not safe. Like a lot of red materials um, can cause adverse skin reactions, and that's true of permanent ink. Um, in fact, in the European, the European Union took a step this year in terms of regulation on the permanent um, tattoo ink industry. And a, as a result of that, they eliminated a lot of the color inks on the market, specifically red. So it's been longer because the material research has just proven challenging. But I can say confidently at this point, we have a, we have a path forward and uh, we hope to have something out in the next 12, 12 to 18 months. That's cool too. Wow. Um, Katie, I'm wondering if you have any more specific questions or if we can just take it away with uh, future directions. Um, yeah, let me just double check. Um, I guess like my, this might feed into the, uh, what's coming in the future, but, um, will, will the limitations be removed from the process? Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted a really saturated tattoo, is it foreseeable that they would be able to get a saturated tattoo that would fade within a year? Is that uh, up and coming? Uh, it's all 100% possible. Um, we, our goal is to ensure that there are as few limits um, as necessary on a customer's ability to self-express. So whether it be colors, size, placements, or level of saturation, all of those things are um, what we are actively exploring. The, sat- the other element of saturation that we are just very sensitive to is also skin damage. So if you were to get, let's say, a heavily filled in tattoo, like a sleeve removed via laser, you'd probably see a, quite a bit more trauma than if you were removing a tattoo that has more uh, just line work um, on like what I'm, I'm referring to permanent tattoos. So we just have to be very mindful of, it's not that it's not technically possible. I think we also have to balance aftercare, healing, um, and understanding that to enable it in a way that doesn't leave a customer with any skin markings. Makes sense. Yeah, I love that you're so... Um, cautious and sensitive to the fact that if a person did not want to keep that tattoo there, that it would be effectively disappeared and there would be little to no mark at all afterwards. I think that's so important. And just to put that out there that it does disappear. And um, if you follow the directions at this point, you're not going to have little to no damage. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And hundred percent. And I would just say, you know, we try to be very thoughtful because of both what we understand about our customer, but also, I mean, it is kind of a difficult space that we're in because you're getting, you're dealing with the human body, you're dealing with skin, you're dealing with a lot of variability in terms of how customers may follow instructions. And so it's kind of make our heads spin sometimes like trying to keep it, keep all these variables in mind. Um, But I want all customers to know, like, I don't know that we'll always be perfect and we'll probably, um, we'll still have to learn through iteration, but we're super, we try to be very thoughtful and we're very deliberate in what we uh, put out to the world. Yeah. Very trustworthy. Yeah. You can definitely tell our account. Yeah, transparent. Yeah. Um, so with that, can you tell us what is 
coming from ephemeral um, across the U.S., worldwide, I don't know, but what, what can we expect to come and what can we expect to come from you? Yeah. So we, I mean, I, I would just remind everyone that our mission is to create a world of limitless self-expression and um, we want to enable anyone and everyone to wear tattoos and express their individuality. And that means that we have to expand domestically. We have to expand globally. Europe and Asia are, are there's a lot of tattoo demand um, and all of the problems that we're addressing here around permanence and anxiety and, and, and um, so, uh, sense of inclusion are all relevant um, outside. Uh, I think we're going to continue investing in uh, great artists. We may invest in developing our own artists over time as well. Apprenticeships are very hard to, to obtain today in the traditional space. There's a lot of hazing, a lot of bullying. A lot of our artists have shared like really tough experiences becoming apprentices. So we think that apprenticeships might be kind of a natural expansion of our mission um, that's authentic to what we care about. Like how do we create a way in for people out of college or looking for their first job, but who are very creative and artistic, how do we create a professional track for them? I think that's really interesting to us. Um, and there will be, um, other forms of technology and applications of the technology as well. We talked about, uh, length of time. There's also a medical application for our ink. Um, there are, I think seven and a half million people in the world every year that go through radiotherapy. Um, if you have cancer. And um, if you go through radiotherapy today, you have to receive a permanent tattoo to mark where the treatment has to go. We think there's um, an interesting use case for us to replace that permanent ink with ephemeral ink, because of course, for patients living with that memory, if you are able to to survive is very, very painful. Um, and we've had a lot of customers, you know, there's this mother in Jersey last year that co contacted us was like, hey, my 12 year old daughter is about to go through radiotherapy. I really don't want her to get a permanent tattoo. And we were just like stunned by that, by the, by that experience and realized that we should probably invest more in making our product viable in that space. Um, and then a lot of really other fun things and probably the skincare space, you know, we really want to extend uh, our ability to impact healing and um, kind of tattoo aftercare. So I think that's definitely on the horizon as well. Um, probably more ideas that I can share uh, on, on this call, but, um, but there are a lot of really, really compelling things that we're, we're trying to uh, develop in the moment. That's very exciting. And, and what an interesting way to, to use the ink. Cause earlier you were just talking about how, you know, you didn't want to sell it initially um, to other studios, um, but to use it for something that really aligns with the values of just like making the world a better place. I think that is really cool. What a really awesome opportunity. Um, what's yeah, coming from totally. you? Uh, what's what's uh, from, from you in the future? Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. You know, I've had someone, someone, a close friend of mine was like, Hey, like what, what's like your long-term, like what's your long-term plan for yourself? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm fully bought in and committed to this. Like I don't, um, it probably sounds like self-serving, but like, I really don't think much more in the future beyond ephemeral. Um, I'm all in no, that's great. Uh, on, on this. And, uh, I think we have a huge opportunity to really change the world positively. So, um, I don't know when I, when I know yeah. what's next past that, I'll, 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 I'll share. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll keep, so. keep in touch. Um, well, yeah. before the episode, we like to leave before the episode ends, I should say, we like to let the guest kind of have the last word. Um, so please um, share with the audience any final thoughts, um, anything that you really want them to take away from this episode uh, can be as short as long as you like. Yeah, I think, um, again, you know, what we stand for here is about enabling self-expression. Um, and we think we've 
have a really uh, long road ahead of us to kind of deliver on our mission. And that, that road um, will, will be difficult unless we hear from our customers and get customer feedback and build customer relationships. And we try to really prioritize our investments and our time based on what customers' needs are. Um, so if you're a prospective customer, if you're an existing customer, even if you're a skeptic, we'd love to hear from you because um, it helps make us better and helps us um, increase the probability we achieve our mission. Love that. And can you uh, let us know where to find you on social media, uh, Ephemeral and you? Yeah. Um, so you, on uh, Instagram, Ephemeral, at Ephemeral Tattoo. On TikTok, Ephemeral, at Ephemeral Tattoo. Our website's ephemeral.tattoo. Um, I don't have a personal, personally a very robust social media account, um, but I'm always uh, hang, hanging on the Ephemeral Tattoo account. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you much, so much Jeff. for talking with us and explaining to all those skeptics or all those lovers out there what ephemeral is all about. And we're super excited to see what comes. Um, yeah. Thanks so awesome. Much, I really appreciate the, the opportunity, the conversation, and, um, and of course, the fact that you both got tattoos. So grateful, grateful yes, for, all, for yes. all of that. We'll be dropping be telling the, everybody. the monthly <laughs> fade photos. So yeah. Please, the, yeah. The listeners can follow along with us too. <laughs> amazing. Can't wait. Love that. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. This is The Coconut Grove. You can follow us at Katie Dessen, Ashley at Ashley Hansen, and The Coconut Grove at Coconut Grove Pod on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.